it because there's a particular verse there that, that says everything you want it to say. And some of you might hate it because there's a particular verse there that you don't understand and you don't like and it says everything you don't want it to say. And this can be a problem. And this is a huge problem. And as we come into this chapter 14, what we have to remember with all of God's Word, and particularly in this situation, is that chapter 14 is not a standalone chapter. God's Word isn't standalone. God's Word is God's Word in its entirety. And so we can't just go into chapter 14 and divorce it and separate it from the other chapters. Chapter 14 is part of the whole of 1 Corinthians. And the whole of 1 Corinthians is part of the whole of the Bible. And as we go into this chapter, we need to see this chapter in its context. Because when you, when you start taking a, a verse or a chapter out of context, you can start doing some really strange and weird things. And, and we want to be protected from that. And so we need to see this chapter in its Biblical context, in the context of Corinthians, and especially in its immediate context. And that's 12, 13, and 14. 12, 13, and 14 are the section on spiritual gifts. It's not just 14. It's not just 12. It's not just they are together as a one. And so to, to select a verse from 1 Corinthians... And particularly 14, and to have it as a standalone verse and to, to take it out of context means that you can start building a whole doctrine on just a few words out of context. Now, now the best way of demonstrating this, of taking verses out of context, and some of you, a lot of you will probably have heard this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. It was the young man who wasn't sure about his Bible reading plan. He wasn't following a good one in new version. He wasn't following a Bible reading plan. He just got his Bible out. What am I going to read today? And he opens the Bible, and it says Judas hung himself. Didn't like that verse. And so he quickly goes to find another one. And the verse said, and go ye and do likewise. He didn't like that verse, and so he went for it again, and it said, whatever you do, do in haste. <laughs> now that is taking God's word out of context, and we laugh about it because it is amusing, but so many times we can go to a passage like this one in 1 Corinthians 14 and take verses out of context and bring out doctrines and teachings that are not helpful. And so we need to see it as a whole. And then we have to remember that the, the, the direct practical application of this passage to the Corinthians, what it was practically saying to the Corinthians, could be very, very different to what it is practically saying to us now. Because we're in a different time and a different culture. Now the principle and, and the theology and the doctrine is the same. That is timeless. That's God's word. But the situation is going to be different, Yes. Our situation 2,000 years on from Corinth is very, very different to theirs. So as we read and as we see and as we apply it to what is saying to them, we then have to take that and work out what does that mean for us now? The doctrine, the principle is sacrosanct. But the application can be affected by the cultural setting that we're in. They were 2,000 years ago. We are now. We need to understand that. We need to have that in our mind. And so as we come into this chapter 14, this is the, sort of the foundation work. We want to see this new section in its context because the context will help us to understand it. The context will help us to apply it. The context will help us to really see what it's saying to us now and what it was saying to them then. And so as we see the context, I want to explore what the main principle of, of the passage is. And then I want to set out what that means to the Corinthians then. And then what I want to do is explore what that means to us now. Now, I had a strange thing happen to me this week. I think it was Tuesday night. I woke up, and whether I had a dream or whether it was just in my waking moments, I suddenly understood how I wanted to preach 
chapter 14. And it was in one session. And then it was going to close the Bible and finish it. It all came to me. And then as I started writing, as I started studying further, I realized it's going to take a lot longer than just one sermon. And, and so this morning, we're going to be particularly in the first five verses. But I want to talk firstly about the context of the whole of chapter 14, how the whole of this chapter 14 fits in here. You see, Corinthians, as you know, is, is a letter from Paul to this church. And, and this church has got problems and it's difficulties and it's got challenges and Paul is addressing these challenges and addressing these difficulties, and he's being straight down the line with these people. Some of this is telling them off. Some of this is pointing to their problems. He's not afraid to, and he's doing it in love because he wants this church to grow. And also this church has written a letter or got in touch with Paul with their questions. And so as this letter comes out, we see different questions coming to Paul, and Paul answering those questions and addressing the challenges and the difficulties and the problems that this church have. And this section on spiritual gifts from chapter 12 to 14 is no different. We don't know exactly what the question was. It certainly was in regard to spiritual gifts, and we certainly know from the context, and we've seen this in the previous chapters, that they had, the Corinthians had a particular, particular uh, uh, desire for the extraordinary gifts. And, and it seems as though they more had an obsession on the tongues. And, and, and the question from the context could have been something like, are, are the tongues the most important spiritual gift? And it would almost seem like some of the church were saying this, and some of the church were a bit nervous about this, and there was different views and different thoughts about it. We don't know exactly what the question was. But we, we, we do know that, that Paul uses this, this question, he uses this interest to address his concerns regarding the Corinthian church and spiritual gifts. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. That's how 12.1 starts. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed of spiritual gifts. And this is a really helpful passage of God's Word to us because we don't need to be uninformed because we have the information that Paul was giving to the Corinthians and it's God's Word and it's here for us too. Now what we have to remember is the church at Corinth had serious problems. And they had problems with their spiritual gifts. And Paul was saying to them, I don't want you to be uninformed. It seems like they were uninformed before. It seems as though they were misusing or misunderstanding spiritual gifts. And so, friends, we have to be careful, yes? We are not to take the Corinthians as a role model of how we should be as a church. And that's sometimes how we can take a verse and get it out of context. Because we, we take something that may have been a telling off, and we think that's how they were doing it, that's how we should do it. And, and, and we should not take the Corinthian church in these parts where, where they're being set straight as being a role model for us. What we should do is we should take what Paul is telling this church to do and be like and follow that. How they were using spiritual gifts at that time is not set out for us as a model. It is set out for us as a warning. Paul was saying some hard things to this church. And, and they got it wrong. And he was telling them that they got it wrong. We're to take the principles that Paul sets out. And we're to apply them to our situation. Now what's going to be frustrating is that the, the questions that you have and, and, and the, where we're going with our thoughts, we're not going to get them all answered today. But we will go through this. We are going to go through this. We are going to see it. And what we need to do is, is see the principles that Paul sets out and apply them to our situation. Not follow the example of the Corinthians, but follow the teaching of God as he brought it to the Corinthians through Paul. Now, in the past, I've likened Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is a sandwich, yeah? That, that, that's not going to come as a surprise to those of you that have been here for a while. You may have got upset with my obsession of sandwiches and using the sandwich as an illustration, but we're back there again. 
And it'll help us as we go into this chapter 14 to see where it is and how it fits in. Now, with a sandwich, each part of it is integral for the whole. Yeah? Just to have a slice of bread is not to have a sandwich. Just to have two slices of bread is not to have a sandwich. Just to have the filling is not a sandwich. You need the slice of bread or the nice baguette or the, the panini or whatever it is you've got, the roll, and then you need your filling and then you need the other part and you need them together. And the whole thing is a sandwich. And we need 12, 13, and 14 as a whole to get the whole of the teaching. But we need to understand that there are different bits here. And chapter 12 is the, the first slice of bread, if you like, and it was general teaching about spiritual gifts. Paul was setting the foundation. He was, he was putting them straight on some things and, and giving them the theory, if you like, giving them the doctrine, giving them the ideas and the principles from God about spiritual gifts. And then the, the end of, of chapter 13, so chapter 12, moves and prepares for 13. And 13 we were thought of as being the filling of the sandwich. And, and we've had a bit of discussion and argument, what is the best part of a sandwich? And some of you it's the bread. And I think that's a bit weird. To me it's that filling, particularly if it's the right filling. If it's peanut butter and lettuce, no. But if we've got some ham in there, if we've got some cheese in there, uh, those of you who like chutney, some of that in there, light on the lettuce, light on the that stuff, a bit more meat, a bit more salami, and that, 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 that's the meat of it, that's the chunk of it. That, that's, and, and there's a reality that this middle section, this chapter 13, is where the, the, the real foundation of spiritual gifts is. Yes, you learn about them in 12, but you, 12 is no good to you without 13. And, and so he, he moves across, and, and he moves across, and, and God's word is absolutely incredible and amazing. And I was wondering this morning, was it Paul's genius, sanctified genius, used by the Holy Spirit? Or did the Holy Spirit do something, and then Paul read it back later and thought, wow, that was a bit clever. What, what, what happened here? But there's something really, really special I want you to notice, because it'll help us as we go into this chapter 14. And there's something called a chymus or a chasmus, or however one pronounces that. Uh, and, and basically, what this is, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a literally way, it's a grammatical construction that repeats things in reverse order to give us a sense of what's going on. And they used to use it all the time in, in Hebrew language and in Hebrew poetry. And I'm going to go through it and I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can see what is happening here. Verse 12, 31 the first part reads, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then if you flick to 14, 1, and then you read there the last part of it, it says, but earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So these two are linked, yeah? And, and, and they're linked because they earnestly desire the higher gifts, and then at 14, they earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And as, as we go on, we're going to see that there's a link between the spiritual gifts, especially the prophecy, and the higher gifts. And so there's this earnest desiring. And then the next one I want to show you is, that there is a continuation of verse, of, verse, of verse 31. And it says, I will show you a still more excellent way. And then 14.1, the first part of it is, is the excellent way. The excellent way is to pursue love. And so as we go into 13, 13, 1 to 3 is, is our C section. And, and 13, 1 to 3 puts it like this. There is a supremacy of love. And, and you know those words. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am a resounding gong. And then if you go to uh, 8, verses 8 to 13, it, it spells out there that love is what is really the one that's lasting. There's a supremacy of love. And there, bang in the middle, we have this section of what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, love is... And, and it goes on, and it tells us this. And, and so this is 
how chapters 12 and 14 are linked together. Do you see this? And what we're seeing here is we are going in sort of backwards again, as it were. Paul tells them here to earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And he blows their mind, the Holy Spirit blows their mind with chapter 13 on love. And then we see God's love. We see this more excellent way. And we realize that spiritual gifts are important. But what is most important is love. And I hope over the, the, the period of looking through 13, you've got that sense of the, the importance of love. But he doesn't just dump love when he comes into 14. He comes into 14 and he's told them, look, you, you, he's going to show you the more excellent way. He shows you this more excellent way. And now he says, pursue it. Pursue this more excellent way. Pursue love. And then he brings back the spiritual gifts into the play. And he brings them back in and says, and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so as we come into chapter 14, as we come into the second slice of bread, what we're getting is the practical application of spiritual gifts in the church life in the context of love and the rules that have been set out in chapter 12. 12 tells us how it should work. The theory, if you like. And then 14 is saying, this is how it's going to work in the church. This is the practical application of it. And, and so... Again, I want to underline this fact. As we're going through this chapter 14, it is not isolated from what's gone before. We cannot isolate it. It is connected together. We have to see it connected together. We have to see it in the, the, the connection of love. And we have to see it in the connection of the teaching of 12. You can't divorce it. And so the, the foundation and the principles that, that Paul outlined in 12 help us understand 14. And I think just as a general rule, if we get lost or get confused, the default position that we need to come back to is love. Because if we go off other ways, we're going to get it wrong. But if we keep going back and anchoring ourselves on this love that is set out for us, the supremacy of love and what love is and what has been done for us and what we should be doing in the name of love, that will guide our thoughts. And that will help us. And so now I want to, to move on to the, the main principle. And the main principle particularly from these first five verses. And it would be also easy to look at these first five verses and say, the most important thing is prophecy. We all need to prophesy. That's what it's all about. The first five verses, yeah? And I, there's, there's some sympathy. We could fall into that trap. But that's exactly the same trap that the Corinthians found themselves. They weren't so much getting excited about prophecy. They were getting really excited about tongues. And, and you see, chapter 14 teaches us that the Corinthians' enthusiasm for, for spiritual gifts, and, and more the application of spiritual gifts, was misguided and misapplied. But that's not the main point. The main point isn't the fact that the Corinthians got it wrong. Yeah? That's, that, that's not going to help us. The, the, the main point, and, and the main point that we need to see here, firstly, is to pursue love. Everything that we go through in chapter 14, we need to do it in the context of pursuing love. Love is the driving factor of the application of spiritual gifts within the church life. It's the fuel. It's the, it's the, it's the burning passion that should be there. And it goes wrong, and we've already been told that it goes wrong. When you put spiritual gifts ahead of love, it goes wrong. When you put spiritual gifts ahead of love, you are a resounding gong. When you put spiritual gifts ahead of love, you are empty, you are nothing. And so as we go through this practical application of what these spiritual gifts should look like within the church family and what church life should look like, 
It starts with this needing to pursue love. And there should be no surprise there, should it? For God so loved the world. Our relationship with God is started on His love for us. A love that we've thought about last week as, as a love that didn't have a beginning and a love that doesn't have an end. A love that sent God's Son to this world to die on the cross for the sins of His people. A love that gives you and I a hope. A love that we can own for ourselves through faith that is a gift from God. And so this love is the foundation. This love is the, the driving factor. This love is what is taking us and moving us forward. And then for, for some of us, possibly for, for many of us, we'd be quite happy just to leave it there and just be satisfied with, with love and forget about the complexities and the misunderstandings and the difficulties and the challenges of spiritual gifts. But, but we can't because being faithful to this, despite love being the, the driving force, and without love, the Corinthians be told, no matter how gifted they are, they're nothing if they haven't got love. And despite that, Paul tells them to earnestly desire the spiritual gift. We have to, we have to hold this and own this and understand this. He was coming to the Corinthians and telling them, first and foremostly, pursue love. But he didn't say, the spiritual gifts are the problem. Love, the absence of love was the problem. And, and, and they need spiritual gifts. And if they didn't need spiritual gifts, that they wouldn't be told to earnestly desire them. The problem was the application of them. The problem was they were being used without love. The problem was that they were being used from ignorance. They were uninformed, and they were using these gifts in the wrong way. And so the key to how to use spiritual gifts in love is in the next instruction. And you might be thinking, well, how's that? Because the next instruction is, especially that you may prophesy. And you can say, well, that's not saying anything about love. And granted, it, it doesn't immediately, and it's not immediately obvious, but we can all rush in too quickly and thinking that this verse means that we all need to be prophets. And that's not what it's saying. God is speaking through Paul to the Corinthians. And he's told them very clearly that they should pursue love. And then he says to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And then he goes on to say, especially that you may prophesy. So we need to work out what's really been said here. Because if we just take our theology and our doctrine on a verse, then we're going to get things wrong. And we need to see it in the context. And, and, and we shouldn't be surprised by this in the context. We shouldn't be surprised that Paul tells these Corinthians that they should earnestly desire especially to prophesy. And why shouldn't this be a surprise to us? Because if we go back to 13, so go back to 12:31, it tells them to earnestly desire the higher gifts. He's already told them this. And in this particular example, and in this particular situation, and in this particular setting, and as we go through it more, we're going to flesh out and we're going to see what's going on. They, they were told to desire prophecy. Earlier in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul numbers the gifts. He says, first apostles, second are prophets, third teachers. And, and, and then as we looked at that passage back then, we, we realized that Paul was telling the Corinthians they put too much emphasis on tongues. And what they should be doing is earnestly desiring the, the, the gifts, the higher gifts. And the higher gifts are the gifts that build up the church. The gifts that edify. That's what's to be preferred. And prophecy is one of the higher gifts because it builds up. And, and we can see this as, as this passage goes on. Verse 2 of, of this passage, 14, starts with the word for. 
So it means there's an explanation. There's an explanation of, of why that they should especially desire to prophesy. It says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now we need the Lord's help here, don't we? Because it would be so easy for us to, to go off in all sorts of ideas and all sorts of directions. But Paul goes on with his argument of four, why they should be especially seeking after prophecy. And he starts off by making this contrast with tongues. And he brings tongues in because tongues was the problem to the Corinthians at that stage. Tongues is what they were all after. Tongues is what they were chasing on. Tongues was the thing that they were using to give themselves validation, things that they were using to show how spiritual they were, things that they may have even been using to edify themselves. But Paul is saying to them, in this situation, in, in this area of corporate worship, the one who speaks in tongues, or anyone who speaks in tongues at any time for that matter, it's not to men, but it's to God. And I say for any time, and, and people are going to say, what about when it's interpreted? Yes, we're going to come to that, yeah? But in, in just where we are, step by step, please, let's go step by step. Let's not raise ahead. Let's go step by step. And, and this is what we're seeing here, is the tongue speaker speaks not to men, but to God. And the reason why is no one else understands him. There are mysteries. Now, mysteries mean there doesn't mean there's not a truth there. There is truth there. We, we don't understand this truth. We don't know it because we don't understand what's being said. But it's not empty, vain words. Now, we, we need to hold on to this. And we need to realize this. Speaking in tongues for the Corinthians then, and, and if you believe that speaking in tongues is appropriate now, we have to hold it by the same standard and realize that speaking in tongues is a real language. It is a real language. It's, it's not babbling incoherently. It might be incoherent to other people. But if it is true tongues, if it is true tongues, God understands it. And there is a language there that is real. Now, now why am I emphasizing this point? Because it would seem, and as we go on later, that the Corinthians, possibly at times, were not speaking in tongues. They were just babbling. And that can happen. And that can happen in the religions of the world. And that can happen within the Christian experience. And that can happen when your Sunday school teacher teaches you to pray in tongues. Because it's a gift. And when we're taught things, it probably is babbling because it probably isn't God speaking. And so we need to realize... And we need to hold this truth that the tongues that are being talked about here are an actual language. And if you go back to Acts, we can see it very, very clearly in Acts because they, they could understand it. And it was languages they hadn't learned themselves that they could speak. And it wasn't a problem. And it, was, it wasn't an issue. And, and it worked there. These tongues are real language. They're not gibberish. They're certainly not hysteria. The, the, the true tongues here, described in Corinthians, is a real language. It wasn't people getting hysterical. If it was people getting hysterical and just babbling off words, it wasn't true tongues. We need to remember this. That they were talking to God. And whether that was in an unknown language of this world, and, and friends, there's over 7,000 different languages, yeah? So, so in, in this room, we probably, I don't know, we could possibly manage 30 languages, possibly 40 language groups, yeah, with different dialects, yeah? So that means there is another 6,960 we could choose from, and we wouldn't have a clue, yeah? So, so there's vast language. So it could be an earthly language, or, or it could be a heavenly language. It doesn't really matter. What really matters for us to understand now is as these Corinthians were speaking, and if they were speaking correctly in tongues, they were speaking in a language which God understood. But the people around them didn't understand. And, and so some scholars believe that the, that the tongue speakers understand what they're saying because it says it builds them up. In verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. 
and others don't believe this to be the case because uh, in, in verse 2 it says no one understands him unless the, the, the verse is interpreted in, in verse 5, no one will understand. And so there's, there's a division of opinion of whether the tongue speaker understands or the tongue speaker doesn't understand. In, in some ways, it doesn't really matter. What Paul is saying is that for the individual themselves, there is some building up. But the big contrast is this. They don't benefit the whole church. Paul was concerned about the whole church in its corporate worship. And in this context of corporate worship, the speaking in tongues doesn't, didn't, and won't build the people up because the people don't understand it. The only time it can build up is if there's through tra translation. And we're going to come on to that later, as I've already said. Now, the difference with, on the other hand, as, as a passage says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so there's this contrast that Paul is making here to the Corinthians using tongues and prophecy as an example. And he's saying tongues is something that can be of benefit to the individual and it is talking to God, but it's no benefit to the church in the collective sense. Because when the church is collective together in corporate worship, the people need to understand. The people have to understand. And prophecy was the example that was given there. And the person who prophesies speaks to the people. They could hear. When the person spoke in tongues, they were speaking to God. And although the people could hear, it wasn't of benefit to them. But when the person spoke prophecy, the people could hear. And not only could they hear, it was for their upbuilding. It was for their encouragement. It was for their consolation. It was for their comfort. And, and verse 4, the second part of it, underlines it. And the one who prophesies builds up the church. Paul was telling the Corinthians that prophecy was better for the church than tongues, because the one built up the church, whilst the other was for personal benefit. And so the big point here, what Paul is saying to these Corinthians in this chapter 14, and as we go through, the underwriting message of this, the practical application of spiritual gifts, is for the building up of the church. The building up of the church there is this principle to pursue love. And how do we pursue love? We pursue love in the building up of the church. Now, now Paul doesn't tell them to stop speaking in tongues. In fact, he says, now I, I want you all to speak in tongues. And even more to prophesy. And immediately, often that verse is taken out of context and it says, everyone has to speak in tongues. Well, does that really say that? Is that what is really meant here? And yes, if you just took that out by itself, out of context, you could come to that opinion. But we know that can't be the truth, can it? Because we know what chapter 12 has taught us. We know that, that chapter 12 has taught us very, very clearly that different people have different gifts, and not everyone is going to have the same gift. So, so Paul wasn't actually saying all had to speak in tongues. He wants all to speak in tongues because he knows it can be a benefit to the person individually. You see, Paul knew there's a benefit to being single. And he wishes that you were all single, yes? I don't get many churches that grab that single verse and say, that's what it means, yes? I know lots of people that grab that all tongues, that means everyone has to speak in tongues, yeah? But when it comes to all and single, no, that means something different there, yeah? We need some consistency here, yeah? Paul can use the word all in that sense, that was his desire, but he knows that all people are not going to be single. And he knows that all people are not going to speak in tongues in Corinth. But he is saying to them that there is an importance there. We can't get away from that. That's, there is an importance there for those Corinthians. And, and we know also in, in, in chapter uh, 7, when he's talking about that singleness, he says, I wish that all were as myself. But each one has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. 
And so he similarly can apply that same principle here. And in chapter 12, when he's talking about the gifts in verses 28 to 30, he says, do all. And then it's no, we, we know that all don't. We don't all have the same gifts. But what we need to come back to at this stage is the real issue is not about tongues or prophecy. But the real issue that is burning on the Apostle Paul's heart and mind is the building up of the church community. And that's where his pastoral heart is coming through. And that's what he wants these Corinthians to understand, that they need to pursue love. And in pursuing love, they will be able to build people up. And and the spiritual gifts are not the driving force. The spiritual gifts are the tools that God uses to build the church up with. And we need to get that in our minds. Because so often what we're doing is selfishly seeking that the spiritual gifts are about me. The spiritual gifts are about you. You have this. I have that. It's not about you and it's not about I. It's about the church. It's about the church being built up. The gift hasn't been given for you for any purpose of superiority. The gift hasn't really been given for you about yourself per se. It's been given for the building up of the church. And that's where the love comes through. And God loved this church so much that he gave his only son. And God loves this church so much that he gives his church gifts. Gifts of the Spirit. And those gifts are not to be used selfishly on oneself. But they're to be used in the building up of the church. And the Corinthians were getting a telling off. Because they were using tongues selfishly for themselves. And he's saying, wake up. You need to be going after the the gifts that build up. They're the the ones that is important. So what did this mean to the Corinthians? Now, the the passage will go on, and and there's lots of very, very practical application that that will go on. But we need to understand sort of generically what this foundation means. I I want us to to concentrate on this first five verses that sets this agenda. And we have to remember this, that at this stage, Paul is saying to the Corinthians something they do not want to hear. They don't want to hear that they've got it wrong. They don't want to hear that their pet subject, their, 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 their ability to speak in tongues isn't what life is all about or Christian walk is all about. They, they, they put a huge amount of value on speaking on tongues. And so what they were hearing at this moment in time was counter their culture. It was, it was a telling off. We need to remember that. It's a context of love. And maybe as we go through this chapter 14, we're going to realize that some of the things that we just automatically had in our lives are wrong. We may be going to realize some of the things that we haven't got in our lives, we need in our lives, need to be brought in. And we need to come humbly before this passage. We need to become willing that the Holy Spirit will teach us. We need to come prepared to hear a rebuke, to hear an exhortation. And this is what the Corinthians were getting. And it may be what we need here at LPC. We're all different. And and it doesn't matter what they need or she needs or he needs. It's what do you need? What is this saying to you? And, And so these people that were putting a huge amount of value on tongues were told, pursue love. Pursue love. In many ways, this is the application of the previous chapter, chapter 13. This is what you're to do. You're to, you're to pursue this love. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This love never ends. This is the love that they were to be pursuing. And we've been through the catalog of problems and challenges and upsets that this church had. And Paul was addressing these problems, and we've said it before, and we'll probably say it again as we go through this book, that if love was there, those problems wouldn't be there. But it comes here, deeper in this thing, in the context of this chapter, Paul is demanding that the, the way they pursue love will impact on the way they think 
and use spiritual gifts. The Corinthians were to show they were pursuing love in the way that they would earnestly desire and the way that they would value and the way that they would use spiritual gifts. And in the context of corporate worship, the Corinthians would be told their spiritual gifts were for the building up of the church. Love shows itself by using spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. And as we go through this chapter 14, we'll see that in very, very practical ways. But as they conduct corporate worship, it was to be for the building up of the church, to edify the saints, to build up the Christians, and to evangelize the sinners. And so simply put, Paul was probably saying to these Corinthians, don't be selfish in your corporate use of spiritual gifts. And this practically meant they had to change their thinking. That they put way, way too much value on the personal value of spiritual gifts to themselves. And Paul says, no, that's selfish. It's not about you. It's about the church. It's about building up the church. The personal value of, of spiritual gifts could have been they were using it just solely for their own edification. Now, there's a place for that. Thursday evenings, we have a meal together, don't we? And as we all share in the meal, we all benefit from the meal. Can you imagine if the mummies prepared the meal, and it was a good meal, and we all came in, and we sat around an empty table while the mummies ate the meal? Well, we would think that was a bit off, wouldn't we? And we think that, that that's wrong. They, they are just eating, they're getting the benefit, and we are sat here without it. And that's what can happen with spiritual gifts. There is a benefit for the community. There's a benefit for the church. There's a benefit for all of us. And yet these Corinthians were selfishly eating for themselves. Just like the Lord's Supper. Which they got so badly wrong. That there were those that were lording it over the others. Their wealth, their position, and they were having a great time. And the poor and the undermined were just pushed out. And spiritually that can happen within churches. There are those that can think that they are spiritually mature and rather than being a blessing to the whole church, they set themselves up on a pedestal. And Paul was saying to Corinthians, that's not what you're to be like. You're not to show off your spirituality. Coming to the front and shouting in tongues the loudest and, 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 and sounding amazing in your prayer time is not edifying the whole church. Maybe they're looking for relevance within the church. How do I get up the ranks of the church? I need to speak in tongues loudly. How, how do I get up in the ranks of the church? I need to have these gifts and do this. Paul said, no. You put way too much value. You need to change your thinking on this. Tongues were not the super gift they imagined them to be because they do not build up the church. Open bracket without translation. Close bracket. We'll come to that later. The corporate life at the church at Corinth Paul was telling them, you want the gifts that build up. And these are to be done and used in a loving way. The single goal of spiritual zeal should be love. And the language of this love is building up the church. And so what does that mean to us now? And as I said before, our times and our cultures is very different. And as we carry on through this, we're going to see that as it applies to the Corinthians, it may be applying differently to us. But we, we, we need to, to come here, don't we? And, and the first note that I would like to bring, the first thing I want us to, to note is to bring a, a word of caution. Because we can fall into the same trap as the Corinthians. And the Corinthians found that in their enthusiasm for spiritual gifts, they were both misguided and misapplied. And we need to humbly ask the Lord to show us what he is saying from this passage. What he is saying. Not what our tradition is saying. Not what our enthusiasm is saying. Not what our forefathers or our church elders. What is God's word saying? 
because the Corinthians had got it messed up in their enthusiasm. And it was a good enthusiasm. It's good to be enthusiastic about spiritual gifts. That's not. But the devil got it and moved it in the wrong way and pushed love out and caused a problem. And so we need to be cautionary about this. And, and so that enthusiasm can misguide and misapply. But we also can have an enthusiasm to the other end of the spectrum. We, we can be so sort of concerned about these spiritual gifts and so uptight about them that we go the other way and our enthusiasm, we push them out. And we grieve the Spirit. And in the enthusiasm of the enthusiastic of wanting everything and being misguided and misapplied, they grieve the Holy Spirit. And both ends of the spectrum can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so I know that I'm preaching to the whole of the church here. I know there's a diversity of opinions and ideas, but we all need to realize this. What we need is God to show us and help us and enable us to pursue love. And in the corporate life of the church, pursuing love, the emphasis is on the building up of the church. So friends, think about it. Why did you come to church this morning? Why did you come? And then for so many of us, it's because I want this, I want that, I need this, I would like that. And friends, we're getting it wrong. We should be coming to this church together so that we're built up as a community. That we're growing together as a community. Now, of course, when I am growing, I can be a blessing to others. And there's a sense where I need to grow and there's a sense that I need that. But within our corporate worship, it's not about your experience. It's not about your feeling. It's about us as a family being built up together. It's about us as a family having love for one another that's shown in a way that cares. And frankly, I think we've got this so, so wrong these days. Because we come in in our own individualistic way for our own experience and our own desires and our own agenda. And we, we sit in our own seat with our own friends. And we should be this, this body of people who's pursuing love. And our greatest desire should be to see the person over there built up. And as that person is built up, their greatest desire should be to that person. And as we're all desiring for each other to be growing up and investing the gifts that God has given us in the growing up, how much growing up will we do? But what instead we do is we selfishly come along and we're like little stunted plants because we're not operating in the way that God has told us to in his word. We're to care for one another. We're to look out for one another. We are to love one another. And the spiritual gifts can be and must be used in the corporate setting for the building up of the church. That the main point of everything in corporate worship is not personal experience. You know, there's some churches and you leave and your WhatsApp pings you and you've got a little customer satisfaction survey coming through. Did you meet with the Holy Spirit today? Oh, yes. Were you blessed by the singing? Did the worship leader smile at you? Now I'm being flippant and silly, but this is where church goes. This is where our attitude can go. And it stinks. And it's not what God wants of us. God wants of us as a church that is being built up, built up in Christ-likeness, built up in godliness, built up through love for one another. And, and, and tongues are not an all-consuming gift. What is all-consuming and what we should be consumed about is, with is God's love. And God's love will manifest itself in the way that we use gifts in the building up of his church. We must pursue love. That's what this passage is telling us. And the practical outworking of us pursuing love in the sense of corporate worship is in the building up of the church. Not coming to get my own personal ex How many of you prayed for others this morning before you came? That's a telling question, isn't it? We, we, we should be praying for one another as we come together because we're wanting each other to be built up. The big story is that spiritual gifts must be used in love for the building up of the church.
And that is the foundation of this chapter 14 that goes on. And as we look at these other bits that get complicated and weird, as we wrestle with other parts, and we will come back and we'll wrestle with tongues and prophecy and other things in more detail as we go through, we're going to be faithful to God's word as we go through it. What we have to understand is this is the foundation. The foundation and the big story is love, pursuing love. And in pursuing love, it is the building up of the church. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Why did God love the world so much? Why did he send his son? It wasn't for us, per se. It was for his church. It was for his church to be built. And and the gifts that he gives us are not for us, per se. They're for the church and the building up of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for when we get things wrong. And I'm convicted myself of how personally I can be selfish in my attitude. And I can come wanting to be built up myself beyond others and not caring. Oh Lord God, help us to be a church And help us to be individuals who are truly pursuing love. And in pursuing that love, may we be about, in that corporate sense, seeing the building up of your church. Lord God, we thank you that you love the church at Corinth so much that you sent Paul to, to warn them and point them in the right direction. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that warns us and points us in the right direction. May we listen to and take heed to what you are saying to us this morning. And may you help us to really pursue that love and to be all about building up the church in our corporate life, in our church life, in our togetherness. Oh Lord God, we pray that as we go through the rest of this chapter that these difficult, tricky bits wouldn't divide us But if we are divided, may we be united in love. And may we be consistent in our care for one another that we may want to see ourselves built up. And Lord God, we pray that in your building up your church here, it may bring glory to your name and we may be a blessing in this dark and desperate time. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen.